You're listening to Zi Xin Liu's The Three-Body Problem. 32. Trisolaris, the Listener The Trisolaran data contain no descriptions of the biological appearance of Trisolarans. Since humans would not lay eyes on actual Trisolarans until more than 400 years later, Ya could only envision the Trisolarans as humanoid as she read the messages. She filled in the blanks between the lines with her imagination. Listening Post 1379 had already been in existence for more than a thousand years. There were several thousand posts like it on Trisolaris, all of them dedicating their efforts to detecting possible signs of intelligent life in the universe. Initially, each listening post had several hundred listeners, but as technology advanced, there was only one person on duty. Being a listener was a humble career. Though they lived in listening posts that were kept at a constant temperature, with support systems that guaranteed their survival without requiring them to dehydrate during chaotic eras, they also had to live their lives within the narrow confines of these tiny spaces. The amount of joy they got from stable eras was far less than others got. The listener at post 1379 looked through the tiny window at the world of Trisolaris outside. This was a chaotic era night. The giant moon had not yet risen, and most people remained in dehydrated hibernation. Even plants had instinctively dehydrated and turned into lifeless bundles of dry fiber lying against the ground. Under the starlight, the ground looked like a giant sheet of cold metal. This was the loneliest time. In the deep silence of midnight, the universe revealed itself to its listeners as a vast desolation. What the listener of Post 1379 disliked the most was seeing the waves that slowly crawled across the display, a visual record of the meaningless noise the listening post picked up from space. He felt this interminable wave was an abstract view of the universe, one end connected to the endless past, the other to the endless future, and in the middle only the ups and downs of random chance, without life, without pattern, the peaks and valleys at different heights like uneven grains of sand, the whole curve like a one-dimensional desert made of all the grains of sand lined up in a row, lonely, desolate, so long that it was intolerable. You could follow it and go forward or backward as long as you liked, but you'd never find the end. On this day, however, the listener saw something odd when he glanced at the waveform display. Even experts had a hard time telling with the naked eye whether a waveform carried information, but the listener was so familiar with the noise of the universe that he could tell that the wave that now moved in front of his eyes had something extra. The thin curve, rising and falling, seemed to possess a soul. He was certain that the radio signal before him had been modulated by intelligence. He rushed in front of another terminal and checked the computer's rating of the signal's recognizability, a red 10. Before this, no radio signal received by the listening post had ever garnered a recognizability rating above a blue 2. A red rating meant the likelihood that the transmission contained intelligent information was greater than 
A rating of Red 10 meant the received transmission contained a self-interpreting coding system. The deciphering computer worked at full power. Still caught up by the dizzying excitement and confusion, the listener stared at the waveform display. Information continued to stream from the universe into the antenna. Because of the self-interpreting code, the computer was able to perform real-time translation, and the message began to show up immediately. The listener opened the resulting document, and for the first time, a trisolarin read a message from another world. With the best of intentions, we look forward to establishing contact with other civilized societies in the universe. We look forward to working together with you to build a better life in this vast universe. During the next two trisolarian hours, the listener learned of the existence of Earth, learned of the world that had only one sun and remained always in a stable era learned of the human civilization that had been born in a paradise where the climate was eternally mild. The transmission from the solar system ended. The deciphering computer now ran uselessly. The post was once again only hearing the noise of the universe. But the listener was certain that what he had just experienced was not a dream. He knew as well that the several thousand listening posts spread across Trisolaris had also received this message, which Trisolaran civilization had awaited for eons. Two hundred cycles of civilization had been crawling through a dark tunnel, and there was finally a glimmer of light before them. The listener read over the message from the earth again. His thoughts drifted over the blue ocean that never froze, and the green forests and fields, enjoying the warm sunlight and the caress of a cool breeze. What a beautiful world. The paradise we imagined really exists. The thrill and excitement cooled, and all that remained was a sense of loss and desolation. During the long loneliness of the past, the listener had asked himself more than once, even if one day a message from an extra trisolarian civilization were to arrive, what would that have to do with me? His own lonely and humble life would not change one iota because of it. But I can at least possess it in my dream. And the listener drifted off to sleep. In their harsh environment, the trisolarians had evolved the ability to switch sleep on and off, a Trisolaran could put himself to sleep in seconds. But he did not get the dream that he wanted. The Blue Earth did appear in his dream, but under the bombardment of an enormous interstellar fleet, the beautiful continents of Earth were burning. The deep blue oceans were boiling and evaporating. The listener woke up from his nightmare and saw the giant moon, just risen, casting a thin ray of cold light through the small window. He looked at the frozen ground outside the window and reviewed his lonely life. By now, he had lived 600,000 Trisolaran hours. The life expectancy of Trisolarans ranged between 700 to 800,000 Trisolaran hours. Most people, of course, would have lost the ability to work productively long before then. They would have been forcibly dehydrated and the resulting dry fibers cast to the flames. Trisolaris did not keep the idol around. But now the listener saw another possibility. It was inaccurate to say that the receipt of the extra Trisolaran message had no influence on his life. 
After confirmation, Trisolaris would surely reduce the number of listening posts. And posts like this one, behind the times, would be among the first to be cut. Then he would be unemployed. A listener's skills were very specialized, consisting only of some routine operations and maintenance. It would be very difficult to find another job. If he couldn't find another job within 5,000 trisolarin hours, he would be forcibly dehydrated and then burnt. The only way to escape this fate was to mate with a member of the opposite sex. When that happened, the organic material making up their bodies would meld into one. Two-thirds of the material would then become fuel to power the biochemical reaction that would completely renew the cells in the remaining one-third and create a new body. Then, this body would divide into three to five tiny new lives, their children. They would inherit some of the memories of their parents, continue their lives, and begin the cycle of life anew. But given the listener's low social position, lonely and enclosed workspace, and advanced age, what member of the opposite sex would be interested in him? In the last few years, the listener had asked himself millions of times, is this all there is to my life? And millions of times, he had answered himself, yes, this is all there is. All that you have in this life is the endless loneliness in the tiny space of this listening post. He couldn't lose that paradise, even if it was only in a dream. The listener knew that at the scale of the universe, due to the lack of a sufficiently long measurement baseline, it was impossible to determine the distance of a source of low-frequency radio transmission from space, only the direction. The source could be high-powered but far away, or low-powered but close by. In that direction were billions of stars, each shining against a sea of other stars at different distances. Without knowing how far away the source was, it was impossible to ascertain its exact coordinates. Distance. The key was distance. Indeed, there was an easy way to ascertain the distance of the transmission source. Just respond to the message, and if the other party replies quickly to the response, the trisolarans could determine the distance based on the round trip time and the speed of light. Or maybe they would take a really long time to reply and cause the trisolarans to be unable to determine how long the message was en route. But the question was, would the other party reply? Since this source had actively sent out a call into the universe, it was very likely that they would reply after getting a response from Trisolaris. And the listener was sure that the Trisolaran government had already given the order to send a message to that distant world to lure them to respond. Maybe the message had already been sent, but maybe not. If the latter was true, then the listener had a singular chance to make his own humble life glow. The listener dashed in front of the operations screen and composed a short, simple message on the computer. He directed the computer to translate the message into the same language as the message received from the Earth. Then, he pointed the listening post's antenna in the direction the message from Earth had come from. The transmit button was a red rectangle. The listener's fingers hovered above it. The fate of Trisolaran civilization was now tied to these slender fingers. Without hesitation, the listener pressed the button. A high-powered radio wave carried that short message, a message that could save another civilization into the darkness of space. Do not answer. <laughs>
Do not answer. Do not answer. We don't know what the official residence of the princeps of Trisolaris looked like, but we can be sure that thick walls separated him from the outside so as to protect him against the extreme weather. The pyramid from the three-body game was one guess about what it could look like. That they built the residence deep underground is another. Five trisolarian hours earlier, the princeps received the report of the extra trisolarian communication. Two trisolarian hours earlier, he received another report. Listening post 1379 had sent out a warning message in the direction of the transmission. The first report did not cause him to leap up in ecstasy, and the second report did not cause him to sink into depression. He wasn't even angry or resentful. All of these emotions, and other emotions such as fear, sorrow, happiness, and appreciation of beauty, were things that the Trisolaran civilization strove to avoid and eliminate. Such emotions caused the individual and society to be weak spiritually and did not help with survival in the harsh environment of this world. The mental states the Trisolarans needed were calmness and numbness. The history of the past 200-some cycles of civilization proved that civilizations that relied on these two states as their spiritual core were the most capable of survival. Why did you do this? The princeps asked the listener from post-1379. So that my life isn't wasted, the listener answered calmly. The warning you sent out may have cost Trisolaran civilization the chance at survival. But it gave Earth civilization such a chance. Princeps, Trisolaran civilization's desire to possess living space is like the desire of a man who's been starving for a long time for food, and it is similarly boundless. We cannot share the Earth with the people of that world. We could only destroy Earth civilization and completely take over that solar system. Am I right? Yes. But there is another reason for destroying Earth civilization. They are also a warlike race, very dangerous. If we try to coexist with them on the same planet, they will shortly learn our technology. Continuing in that state would allow neither civilization to thrive. Let me ask you. You wish to be the savior of the earth, but do you not feel any sense of responsibility for your own race? I am tired of Trisolaris. We have nothing in our lives and spirit except the fight for survival. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong, of course. Existence is the premise for everything else, but, princeps, please, examine our lives. Everything is devoted to survival. To permit the survival of the civilization as a whole, there is almost no respect for the individual. Someone who can no longer work is put to death. Trisolaran society exists under a state of extreme authoritarianism. The law has only two outcomes. The guilty are put to death and the not guilty are released. For me, the most intolerable aspects are the spiritual monotony and desiccation. Anything that can lead to spiritual weakness is declared evil. We have no literature, no art, no pursuit of beauty and enjoyment. We cannot even speak of love. Princeps, 
Is there meaning to such a life? The kind of civilization you yearn for once existed on Trisolaris, too. They had free, democratic societies, and they left behind rich cultural legacies. You know barely anything about them. Most details have been sealed away and forbidden from view. But in all the cycles of Trisolaran civilization, this type of civilization was the weakest and most short-lived. A modest, chaotic-era disaster was enough to extinguish them. Look again at the Earth civilization that you wish to save. A society born and bred in the eternal spring of a beautiful hothouse would not be able to survive even a million Trisolaran hours if it were transplanted here. That flower may be delicate, but it possesses peerless splendor. She enjoys freedom and beauty in the ease of paradise. If Trisolaran civilization ultimately possesses that world, we can also create such lives for ourselves. Princeps, I'm doubtful. The metallic Trisolaran spirit has infiltrated each of our cells and solidified. You really believe it can melt again? I'm an ordinary man living at the bottom of society. No one would pay any attention to me. My life is spent alone, without wealth, without status, without love, and without hope. If I can save a distant, beautiful world that I've fallen in love with, then my life has not been wasted. Of course, Princeps, this also gave me a chance to see you. If I had not done this, a man like me could only ever hope to admire you on TV. So permit me to express myself as honored. You're guilty beyond doubt. You're the greatest criminal in all the cycles of Trisolaran civilization. But now, we make an exception in Trisolaran law. You're free to go. Why? For you, dehydration followed by burning is not even remotely adequate as punishment. You're old, and you will not live to see the final destruction of Earth civilization. But I will at least make sure that you know that you cannot save her. I want to let you live until the day she loses all hope. All right. You may leave. After the listener from post-1379 left, the princeps called in the consul responsible for the monitoring system. The princeps also avoided being angry at him. He dealt with it as a routine matter. How could you allow such a weak and evil man into the monitoring system? Princeps, the monitoring system employs hundreds of thousands, To screen them all strictly is very difficult. After all, the man managed to perform his duties at listening post 1379 without error for most of his life. Of course, this most serious mistake is my responsibility. How many others bear some responsibility for this failure in the Trisolaran space monitoring system? My preliminary investigation shows about 6,000, accounting for all levels. They're all guilty. Yes. Dehydrate all 6,000 and burn them together in the square in the middle of the capital. As for you, 
you can be the kindling. Thank you, Princeps. This will at least calm our consciences a little. Before carrying out this punishment, let me ask you, how far can that warning message travel? Listening Post 1379 is a small facility without high transmission power. The maximum range may be 12 million light hours, about 1,200 light years. That's far enough. Do you have any suggestions for what Trisolaran civilization should do next? How about transmitting a carefully composed message to that world to lure them to respond? No, that might make matters worse. At least the warning message is very short. We can only hope that they ignore it or misunderstand its contents. All right, you may leave. After the console left, the princeps summoned the commander of the Trisolaran fleet. How long would it take to complete the preparations for the first wave of the fleet? Princeps, the fleet is still in the last phase of construction. At least 60,000 more hours are needed before the ships are spaceworthy. I will soon present my plan for approval by the joint session of consuls. After construction is complete, the fleet should set sail in that direction at once. Princeps, given the frequency of the transmission, even the direction of the source cannot be ascertained with great accuracy. The fleet is only capable of cruising at one hundredth the speed of light. Also, it only has enough power in reserve to perform one deceleration, making it impossible to conduct a wide area search in that direction. If the distance to the target is unclear, the fleet will ultimately fall into the abyss of space. But look at the three suns around us. At any moment, the plasma outer layer of one of them may begin to expand and swallow its last planet, our world. We have no other choice. We must make this gamble. 33. Trisolaris, Sophon. 85,000 Trisolaran hours, about 8.6 Earth years later. The Princeps had ordered an emergency meeting of all Trisolaran consuls. This was very unusual. Something important must have happened. 20,000 Trisolaran hours ago, the Trisolaran fleet had launched. The ships knew the approximate direction of their target, but not its distance. It was possible that the target was millions of light hours away, or even at the other end of the galaxy. Faced with the endless sea of stars, the expedition had little hope. The meeting of consuls occurred under the Pendulum Monument. As Wang Mao read about this episode, he couldn't help but recall the session at the UN building in the three-body game. In reality, the Pendulum Monument was one of the few objects in the game that really did exist on Trisolaris. The Princeps' choice of meeting site confused most of the attendees. The chaotic era wasn't over yet, and a small sun had just risen over the horizon, though it could also set at any moment. The temperature was cold, and all the attendees were forced to wear fully enclosed electric heating suits. The massive metal pendulum swung magnificently, pounding the frigid air. The small sun cast a long shadow against the ground, as if a giant whose head touched the sky were striding there. Under the watchful eyes of the crowd, the princeps ascended onto the base of the pendulum and flipped a red switch. 
He turned to the consoles and said, I have just shut off power to the pendulum. It will gradually stop under the influence of air resistance. Princeps, why? A console asked. We all understand the historical significance of the pendulum. It's intended to hypnotize God. But now we know it's better for Trisolaran civilization to have God awake, because God is now blessing us. Everyone was silent, pondering the meaning of the princep's words. After three more swings from the pendulum, someone asked, Has the earth responded? The princeps nodded. Yes. Half an hour ago, I received the report. It was a response to the warning that was sent. So soon? Only 80,000 hours have passed since then, which means, which means, which means that the Earth is only 40,000 light hours from us. Isn't that the closest star from here? Yes. That is why I said God is blessing Trisolaran civilization. The attendees grew ecstatic, but they couldn't express the feeling, so the crowd seemed like a pent-up volcano. The princeps knew that allowing such weak emotions to explode would be dangerous, so he poured cold water on their sentiments. I've already ordered the Trisolaran fleet to turn toward this star, but things are not quite as optimistic as you think. Given what we know, right now the fleet is sailing toward certain death. The consuls calmed down. Does anyone understand my conclusion? I do, said the science consul. We've all studied the first messages from Earth carefully. The section most worthy of attention is their history. Let's observe the facts. Humans took more than 100,000 Earth years to progress from the hunter-gatherer age to the agricultural age. To get from the agricultural age to the industrial age took a few thousand Earth years. But to go from the industrial age to the atomic age took only 200 Earth years. Thereafter, in only a few Earth decades, they entered the Information Age. This civilization possesses the terrifying ability to accelerate their progress. On Trisolaris of the more than 200 civilizations, including our own, none has ever experienced such accelerating development. The progress of science and technology in all Trisolaran civilizations has been at a constant or decelerating pace. In our world, each technology age requires approximately the same amount of time for steady, slow development. The princeps nodded. The fact is that 4,500,000 hours from now, when the Trisolaran fleet has reached the Earth, that civilization's technology level will have long surpassed ours due to their accelerating development. The journey of the Trisolaran fleet is long and arduous, and the fleet must pass through two interstellar dust belts. It's very likely that only half of the ships will reach the Earth's solar system, while the rest perish along the way. And then, the Trisolaran fleet will be at the mercy of a much more powerful Earth civilization. This is not an expedition, but a funeral procession. But if this is true, Princeps, then there are even more frightening consequences, the military consul said. Yes, it's easy to imagine. The location of Trisolaris has been exposed. 
To eliminate future threats, an interstellar fleet from Earth will launch a counterattack against us. It's very possible that long before an expanded sun swallows this planet, Trisolaran civilization will have already been extinguished by humans. The bright future had suddenly turned impossibly grim. The attendees fell silent. The princeps said, What we must do next is contain the progress of science on Earth. Luckily, as soon as we received the first messages from Earth, we began to develop plans to do so. As of now, we've discovered a favorable condition for realizing these plans. The response we just received was sent by an Earth trader. Thus, we have reason to believe that there are many alienated forces within Earth civilization, and we must exploit such forces to the fullest. Princeps, that is not at all easy. We have but a thin thread of communication with the Earth. It takes more than 80,000 hours to complete an exchange. But remember that, like us, the knowledge that there are extraterrestrial civilizations will shock all of Earth's society and leave profound marks. We have reason to believe that the alienated forces within Earth civilization will coalesce and grow. What can they do? Sabotage? Given a time gap of 40,000 hours, the strategic value of any traditional tactics of war or terror is insignificant, and they can recover from them. To effectively contain a civilization's development and disarm it across such a long span of time, there is only one way. Kill its science. The science console said, the plan focuses on emphasizing the negative environmental effects of scientific development and showing signs of supernatural power to the population of Earth. In addition to highlighting the negative effects of progress, we'll also attempt to use a series of miracles to construct an illusory universe that cannot be explained by the logic of science. After these illusions have been maintained for some time, it's possible that Trisolaran civilization may become a target of religious worship there. Then, unscientific ways of thinking will dominate scientific thinking among human intellectuals and lead to the collapse of the entire scientific system of thought. How do we create miracles? Uh, the key to miracles is that they cannot be seen as tricks. This may require that we transfer certain technologies far above current human technology level to the alienated forces on Earth. That's too risky. Who knows who'll ultimately control such technologies? That's playing with fire. Of course, which specific technology should be transferred to produce miracles requires further study. Please hold on for a moment, science consul, said the military consul as he stood up. Princeps, I'm of the opinion that this plan will be almost useless in terms of stopping human science. But it's better than nothing, the science consul argued. Barely the military consul said contemptuously. I agree with your view, the princeps said. This plan will only interfere slightly with human scientific development. We need a decisive act that will completely suffocate science on Earth and freeze it at its current level. Let's focus on the key here. Overall technological development depends on the advancement of basic science, and the foundation of basic science lies in the exploration of the deep structure of matter. If there's no progress in this field, there can be no major breakthrough in science and technology as a whole. Of course, this is not specific to civilization on Earth. It is applicable to all targets that Trisolaran civilization intends to conquer.
We had begun work in this area even before receiving the first extra trisolarin communication, but we've recently stepped up the effort. Now, everyone look up. What's that? The princeps pointed at the sky. The consuls lifted their heads to gaze in that direction. They saw a ring in space, giving off a metallic glow in the sunlight. Is that the dock for building the second space fleet? No, that's a large particle accelerator still under construction. The plans for building a second space fleet have been scrapped. All resources are now devoted to Project Sophon. Project Sophon? Yes, we've kept this plan secret from most of you present. I now ask the science consul to give an introduction. I knew about this plan, but didn't know it had progressed so far. The speaker was the industry consul. The culture and education consul said, I knew about this plan as well, but thought it was like a fairy tale. The science consul said, Project Sophon, to put it simply, aims to transform a proton into a superintelligent computer. This is a science fantasy that most of us have heard about, the agricultural consul said. But can it be realized? I know that physicists can already manipulate nine of the 11 dimensions of the microscale world, but we still can't imagine how they could stick a pair of tiny tweezers into a proton to build large-scale integrated circuits. Of course, that's impossible. The etching of micro-integrated circuits can only occur at the macro scale, and only on a macroscopic two-dimensional plane. Thus, we must unfold a proton into two dimensions. Unfold a nine-dimensional structure into two dimensions? How big would the area be? Very big, as you will see. The science console smiled. Another 60,000 trisolarin hours went by. 20,000 trisolarin hours after the completion of the huge particle accelerator in space, the unfolding of the proton into two dimensions was about to begin in a synchronous orbit around Trisolaris. It was a beautiful and mild, stable era day. The sky was particularly clear. Like the day when the fleet had set sail 80,000 trisolarin hours ago, the entire population of Trisolaris looked up into the sky gazing at that giant ring. The princeps and all the consuls again came and stood under the pendulum monument. The pendulum had long stopped, and the weight hung still like a solid rock between the tall pillars. Looking at it, it was hard to believe that it had once moved. The science consul gave the order to unfold into two dimensions. In space, three cubes drifted around the ring, the fusion generators that powered the accelerator. Their wing-like heat sinks gradually began to glow with a dim reddish light. The crowd anxiously stared at the accelerator, but nothing seemed to happen. A tenth of a trisolarin hour later, the science consul held his earpiece to his ear and listened intently. Then he said, Princeps, unfortunately, the unfolding failed. We reduced the dimensions by one too many, and the proton became one-dimensional. One-dimensional? A line? Yes, an infinitely thin line. Theoretically, it should be about 1,500 light-hours long. 
We spent the resources intended for another space fleet, said the military consul, just to obtain a result like this. In scientific experiments, there has to be a process during which kinks are worked out. After all, this was the very first time the unfolding has been tried. The crowd dispersed in disappointment, but the experiment wasn't over. Originally, it was thought that the one-dimensional proton would stay in synchronous orbit around Trisolaris forever. But due to friction from solar winds, pieces of the string fell back into the atmosphere. Six Trisolaran hours later, everyone outside noticed the strange lights in the air, gossamer threads that flickered in and out of existence. They soon learned from the news that this was the one-dimensional proton drifting to the ground under the influence of gravity. Even though the string was infinitely thin, it produced a field that could still reflect visible light. It was the first time people had ever seen matter not made out of atoms. The silky strands were merely small portions of a proton. Ah, these things are so annoying. The princeps brushed his hand against his face over and over. He and the science console were standing on the wide steps in front of government center. My face always feels itchy. Princeps, the feeling is purely psychological. All the strings added together have the mass of a single proton, so it's impossible for them to have any effect on the macroscopic world. They can't do any harm. It's as if they don't exist. But the threads that fell from the sky grew more numerous and denser. Closer to ground, tiny sparkling lights filled the air. The sun and the stars all appeared inside silvery halos. The strings clung to those who went outside, and as they walked, they dragged the lights behind them. When people returned indoors, the lines glimmered under the lamps. As soon as they moved, the reflection from the strings revealed the patterns in the air currents they disturbed. Although the one-dimensional string could only be seen under light and couldn't be felt, people became upset. The torrent of one-dimensional strings continued for more than 20 trisolaran hours before finally ending, though not because the strings had all fallen to the ground. Although their mass was unimaginably minuscule, they still had some, and so their acceleration under gravity was the same as normal matter. However, once inside the atmosphere, they were completely dominated by the air currents and would never fall to the ground. After being unfolded into one dimension, the strong nuclear force within the proton became far more attenuated, weakening the string. Gradually, it broke into tiny pieces, and the light they reflected was no longer visible. People thought they had disappeared, but pieces of the one-dimensional string would drift in the air of Trisolaris forever. Fifty trisolaran hours later, the second attempt to unfold a proton into two dimensions began. Soon, the crowd on the ground saw something odd. After the heat sinks of the fusion generators began to glow red, several colossal objects appeared near the accelerator. All of them were in the form of regular geometric solids, spheres, tetrahedrons, cubes, cones, and so on. Their surfaces had complex coloration, but close examination showed that they were, in fact, colorless. The surfaces of the geometric solids were completely reflective, and what the people saw were just distorted, reflected images of the surface of Trisolaris. Have we succeeded? the princeps asked. Is that the proton unfolded into two dimensions? 
The science console replied, Princeps, it's still a failure. I just received the report from the accelerator control center. The unfolding left one too many dimensions in, and the proton was unfolded into three dimensions. The giant reflective geometric solids continued to pop into existence in great numbers, and their forms became more various. There were tori, solid crosses, and even something that looked like a Mobius strip. All the geometric solids drifted away from the location of the accelerator. About half an hour later, the solids filled more than half the sky, as though a giant child had emptied a box of building blocks in the firmament. The light reflected from the mirror surfaces doubled the brilliance of the light hitting the ground, but the intensity continuously shifted. The shadow of the giant pendulum flickered in and out and swayed from side to side. Then, all the geometric solids began to deform. They gradually lost their regular shapes, as though they were melting in heat. The deformation accelerated, and the resulting lumps became more and more complex. Now the objects in the sky no longer reminded people of building blocks, but of a giant's dismembered limbs and disemboweled viscera. Because their shapes were no longer so regular, the light they reflected to the ground became softer, but their own surface coloration turned even more strange and unpredictable. Out of the mess of three-dimensional objects, a few in particular drew special attention from observers on the ground. At first, it was only because the objects in question were very similar to each other. But upon closer examination, people recognized them, and a wave of terror swept Trisolaris. They were all eyes. Of course, we don't know what Trisolaran eyes look like, but we can be certain that any intelligent life would be very sensitive to representations of eyes. The Princeps was one of the few who kept calm. He asked the science console, How complicated can the internal structure of a subatomic particle be? It depends on the number of dimensions of your observation perspective. From a one-dimensional perspective, it's only a point. That's how ordinary people think of the particles. From a two- or three-dimensional perspective, the particle begins to show internal structure. From a four-dimensional perspective, a fundamental particle is an immense world. The Princeps said, To use a word like immense to describe a subatomic particle, such as a proton, seems incredible to me. The science console ignored the Princeps and continued, As we move to higher dimensions, the complexity and number of structures within a particle increase dramatically. The comparisons I'm about to make will not be precise, but should give you an idea of the scale. A particle seen from a seven-dimensional perspective has a complexity comparable to our trisolaran stellar system in three dimensions. From an eight-dimensional perspective, a particle is a vast presence like the Milky Way. When the perspective has been raised to nine dimensions, a fundamental particle's internal structures and complexity are equal to the whole universe. As for even higher dimensions, our physicists haven't been able to explore them, so we cannot yet imagine the degree of complexity. The princeps pointed to the giant eyes in space. Do these show that the microcosmos contained within the unfolded proton harbors intelligent life? Our definition of life is probably not appropriate for the high-dimensional microcosmos. 
More accurately, we can only say that universe contains intelligence or wisdom. Scientists have long predicted this possibility. It would have been odd for such a complex and vast world to not have evolved something akin to intelligence. Why have they transformed into eyes to look at us? The princeps looked up at the eyes in space, beautiful, lifelike sculptures, all of them gazing upon the planet below, strangely. Maybe they just want to demonstrate their presence. Can they fall down here? Not at all. You may rest easy, Princeps. Even if they were to fall, the mass of all these huge structures added together is only that of a proton. Just like the one-dimensional string from last time, they won't have any effect on our world. People just have to get used to the strange sight. But this time, the science console was wrong. People noticed the eyes moved faster than the other solids filling the sky and they were gathering into one spot. Soon, two eyes met and merged into one bigger eye. More and more eyes joined this big eye, and its volume grew. Finally, all the eyes melded into one. It was so large that it seemed to represent the gaze of the universe upon Trisolaris. The iris was clear and bright, and at the center was the image of a sun. Over the broad surface of the eyeball, various colors cascaded in a flood. Soon, the details over the giant eye faded and gradually disappeared, until it became a pupilless blind eye. Then it began to deform, until it finally lost the shape of an eye and became a perfect circle. When the circle began to slowly rotate, people realized that it was not flat, but parabolic, like a slice cut from a giant sphere. As the military console stared at the slowly spinning colossal object in space, he suddenly understood and shouted, Princeps and others, please go into the underground bunker right away, he pointed upward. That is a parabolic mirror, the Princeps said calmly. Direct the space defense forces to destroy it. We will stay right here. The parabolic mirror focused the sun's beams onto the surface of Trisolaris. Initially, the spot of light was very large, and the heat at the focal point wasn't yet lethal. This spot moved across the ground, searching for its target. The mirror discovered the capital, the largest city of Trisolaris, and the light spot began to move toward it. Soon, the beam was over the city. Those standing under the pendulum monument only saw great brightness in space. It overwhelmed everything else, accompanied by a wave of extreme heat. Then the light spot over the capital shrank as the parabolic mirror began to focus the light more tightly. The brightness from space grew stronger until no one could lift up his head, and those standing within the spot felt the temperature rise rapidly. Just as the heat became unbearable, the edge of the light spot swept past the pendulum monument and everything dimmed. It took a while before the crowd's sight readjusted to normal light. When they looked up, the first sight that greeted them was a pillar of light between the sky and earth, shaped like an inverted cone. The mirror in space formed the base of the cone, and the tip stabbed into the heart of the capital, turning everything there incandescent at once. Waves of smoke began to rise. 
Tornadoes caused by the uneven heat of the light cone formed several other pillars made of dust that connected to the sky, twisting and dancing around the light cone. Several brilliant fireballs appeared in different parts of the mirror, their blue color distinct from the light reflected from the mirror. These were the exploding nuclear warheads launched by the Tri-Solaran Space Defense Corps. Because the explosions were happening outside the atmosphere, there was no sound. By the time the fireballs disappeared, several large holes appeared in the mirror, and then the entire surface of the mirror began to tear and crack until it had broken into more than a dozen pieces. The deadly light cone disappeared, and the world returned to a normal level of illumination. For a moment, the sky was as dim as a moonlit night. Those broken pieces of the mirror, now devoid of intelligence, continued to deform and soon could not be distinguished from the other geometric solids in space. What will happen with the next experiment? The princeps' expression was derisive as he spoke to the science console. Will you unfold a proton into four dimensions? Princeps, even if that were to occur, it's nothing to worry about. A proton unfolded into four dimensions will be much smaller. If the Space Defense Corps is prepared to attack its projection in three-dimensional space, it can be destroyed just the same. You're deceiving the princeps, said a furious military consul. You have not mentioned the real danger. What if the proton is unfolded into zero dimensions? Zero dimensions? The princeps was interested. Wouldn't that be a point with no size? Yes, a singularity. Even a proton would be infinitely big compared to it. The entire mass of the proton will be contained in this singularity, and its density will be infinite. Princeps, I'm sure you can imagine what that would be. A black hole? Yes. Uh, princeps, let me explain, the science console broke in. The reason we picked a proton instead of a neutron to unfold into two dimensions is precisely to avoid this kind of risk. If we really were to unfold into zero dimensions, the charge of a proton would also be carried over into the unfolded black hole. We can then capture and control it using electromagnetism. What if you can't find it or control it? The military console asked. It can then land on the ground, suck in everything it encounters, and increase its mass. Then it will sink into the core of this planet and eventually suck down all of Trisolaris. That will never happen. I guarantee it. Why are you always making things difficult for me? Like I said, this is a scientific experiment. That's enough, the princeps said. What is the probability of success next time? Almost 100%. Princeps, please believe in me. Through these two failures, we've already mastered the principles governing unfolding subatomic structures into low-dimensional macro space. All right. To ensure the survival of Trisolaran civilization, we must take this risk. Thank you. But if you fail again, you and all the scientists working on Project Sofon will be guilty. Yes, of course, all guilty. If Trisolarans could perspire, the science console must have been soaked in a cold sweat. 
It was much easier to clean up the three-dimensional remnants of the unfolded proton in synchronous orbit than it was to clean up the one-dimensional string. Small spaceships were able to drag the pieces of proton matter away from Trisolaris and prevent them from entering the atmosphere. Those objects, some as large as mountains, had almost no mass. They were like immense silver illusions. Even a baby could have moved them easily. Afterwards, the princeps asked the science console, did we destroy a civilization in the microcosmos in this experiment? It was at least an intelligent body. Also, princeps, we destroyed the entire microcosmos. That miniature universe is immense in higher dimensions, and it probably contained more than one intelligence or civilization that never had a chance to express themselves in macro space. Of course, in higher dimensional space at such micro scales, the form that intelligence or civilization may take is beyond our imagination. There's something else entirely, and such destruction has probably occurred many times before. Oh? In the long history of scientific progress, how many protons have been smashed apart in accelerators by physicists? How many neutrons and electrons? Probably no fewer than a hundred million. Every collision was probably the end of the civilizations and intelligences in a microcosmos. In fact, even in nature, the destruction of universes must be happening at every second. For example, through the decay of neutrons. Also, a high-energy cosmic ray entering the atmosphere may destroy thousands of such miniature universes. You're not feeling sentimental because of this, are you? You amuse me. I will immediately notify the propaganda consul and direct him to repeatedly publicize this scientific fact to the world. The people of Trisolaris must understand that the destruction of civilizations is a common occurrence that happens every second of every hour. Why? Do you wish to encourage the people to face the possible destruction of Trisolaran civilization with equanimity? No. It's to encourage them to face the destruction of Earth civilization with equanimity. You know very well that after we publicized our policy toward the Earth civilization, there was a wave of extremely dangerous pacifism. We've only now discovered that there are many like the listener of post-1379. We must control and eliminate these weak sentiments. Princeps, this is mainly the result of recent messages received from the Earth. Your prediction has come true. The alienated forces on Earth really are growing. They've built a new transmission site completely under their control, and they've begun to send us large amounts of information about Earth civilization. I must admit that their civilization has great appeal on Trisolaris. For our people, it sounds like sacred music from heaven. The humanism of Earth will lead many Trisolarans onto the wrong path. Just as Trisolaran civilization has already become a religion on Earth, Earth civilization has this potential on Trisolaris. You've pointed out a great danger. We must strictly control the flow of information from the Earth to the populace, especially cultural information. You've been listening to The Three-Body Problem. Subscribe to this podcast so you can stay up to date on the newest installments of this enthralling sci-fi adventure. Or, if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of The Three-Body Problem, as well as the next two books in the series, wherever books or audiobooks are sold.